Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky of Break of Day Capital. I talk to leading experts to discuss a wide range of subjects to educate investors on best-in-class practices to build legacy wealth and positively impact communities. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Hey, everyone. We have launched the BODC Multifamily Impact Fund. Invest with a trusted operator with a track record of success. Our fund offers diversification, risk mitigation, tax benefits, and stringent acquisition criteria. If you'd like to learn more, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Taylor Lote. Taylor is a real estate investor focused on multifamily apartments and self-storage. He's the founder of NT Capital Group. Thanks for joining us, Taylor. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show today. So as you mentioned, I'm a multifamily and self-storage real estate investor. We invest pretty well spread out around the country, of course, in the Sun Belt, where a lot of folks are investing today. And we've had success in certain parts of the Midwest as well. And I love the value-add strategy in B-class multifamily apartments. And then on the self-storage side, I love getting self-storage properties that have expansion potential and rents under market and you know pretty well tried and true strategies in my opinion. Awesome. Well, today I want to talk about changes in the multifamily market as a result of higher interest rates from an investor's perspective. Obviously, it's very polarizing out there. Some people are bullish. There's a lot of people that are very bearish. You know, what's what's your take on interest rates and investor perspective? Yeah. So I would say that in general, I take somewhat of a mixed or nuanced view of this, if you will. I, I'm I'm rarely a, a bear or a bull in any case under any circumstances. But one of the things that I know for a fact is that people are going to need a place to live as long as I'm going to be alive and you know, well past when I'm going to be alive. So I take that as a pretty bullish factor, right? And if we can cater to that need effectively, then I believe we put ourselves in a great position to continue to grow our wealth and perform pretty well. The tough part is, okay, our investments are typically financed with debt, right? And exactly like you said, interest rates are much higher than they used to be. They may continue to tick up. Who knows what the Fed is really going to decide to do? We've seen some inflationary factors begin to tick down. We have the election coming up next year. How aggressive are they really going to be driving us into a potential recession? But stepping back from the factors that are 100% outside of our control, we can't control the market interest rates. We can just control how we react to them and how we, frankly, network with other real estate investors to get an actual pulse for what's going on. Because 
you know, as much as I love podcasts, it's really difficult to get the straight information on a recorded line, basically. So I think the number one thing to do is get out there and network and meet with other investors one-on-one in groups so that you can learn, you know, who has deals that are, you know, distressed, who had their interest rate cap expire and they're, you know, frankly, bleeding money in their deals. And that certainly is happening. Uh, It's not happening to us at any point, but I've spoken with a good few other investors who are in that position and are scrambling to save their deals. And that may or may not come to a head in terms of broader distress in the market. Honestly, I kind of doubt it. I think an awful lot of that fear-mongering is often overblown. Those folks that are in those positions where their debt service costs have exploded, their interest rate caps have expired, they're going to have to get out of it one way or another. Now, we're hearing again, if you get out there and speak with people about some lenders offering loan restructurings and other options to avoid potentially having to foreclose on owners. You know, I think we're, that's a good thing ultimately for the economy. If we can avoid a huge wave of foreclosures in any particular asset class, particularly in office is probably in the worst shape, but no matter what we could, in theory, you could kind of see it anywhere, but. We're hearing about loan restructurings. There are folks out there with those expired rate caps. And frankly, the folks that are in that position with those expired rate caps, they know that you know who you are. If you're listening right now and you know you're in that position, I'm not saying anything that's surprising you. Just for those that are not in that position, be aware that it's going on. And those that have those deals that those expired rate caps, they're not out there talking about publicly and who can really blame them, honestly. Like I I don't know that I would be. If I was in their position, you know, by now folks are almost certainly aware this has been going on for you know a year and a half or so. But lenders have really reduced LTVs. That's that's the case. They just reduced what they were, you know, the amount that they were loaning on any given property. You know, moving forward, the rest of 2023, I think generally we need to be careful about trying to become armchair economists and predict what's going to happen, and just focus on doing the best deals that we can. Some folks believe that there will be some of these deals that have expired rate caps that do get foreclosed on and will hit the market. You know, again, if you're in that position, you already know that you're there and you should be dealing with it. But overall, you know, I think the case for multifamily investing in principle is as strong as it ever was, right? We, fill a need that is never, ever going away. As long as there are people, they're going to need a place to live. Now, we need to make sure we're doing that in the right place with the right people, with the right financing and the right business plan. Those are all the factors to making a profitable investment. But in general, I don't think we're on the precipice of, you know, a weight in multifamily at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I read this morning... Housing starts for single family went down 7.4% in June and multifamily went down 9.4%. And we need more housing. You know, we're millions of, of housing units short. So it just, it just gives more viability to, you know, you know, investing in, in multifamily. A hundred percent. If you look at, I mean, just look at the rates on 30 year mortgages. They're significantly higher than they were for a few years there. And depending on where you are in the country, most of the country's housing prices have remained strong, if not 
increased a little bit over the last year and a half. Most markets aren't really going crazy. I think there are a few areas, maybe certain parts of Southern California, some of the more boom towns have had a little bit of a tick down, but really the rest of the country, I mean, I'm, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. The housing market here is still really strong. I mean, the single family house prices are high and you know, people who need a place to live have a fixed number of options. They could buy a house, they could rent a house, they could rent a multifamily, essentially. And when the home ownership costs, the cost to buy a house are so much higher now than they were, you know, a year, year and a half ago, it's just, you know, it just is what it is. It's just the economics of of housing that they need somewhere to go and apartments are still a very viable option. My wife and I, we bought a new house a little bit over a year ago sold our old place, did pretty well in that because we had so much uh, appreciation. But I was so grateful that we got in when we did. It was about mid, you know, the interest rate increases had already started, but now there are maybe 200 basis points higher than what we ended up paying. And I think folks are having a tough time out there justifying buying houses. So they're staying in apartments, you know, just as what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And most people are very reluctant to sell because then they're going to, you know, they bought, have debt, you know, 2.75%, three, 3.5%. Now they're going to get 6%. So no one's selling. There's not that much building. So yeah, there's prices are going up. I just sold a spec home. I couldn't, you know, believe how much I, I sold it for without even taking it to market. So crazy, crazy times out there. Are you a buyer right now? Are you waiting? What's, what's your, what are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm still certainly investing. I haven't. You know, set my chips off to the side, if you will. Now, granted, it has to be the right opportunity, right? And my personal investing strategy has changed over the years. When I was younger and first getting started, I really focused heavily on C-class multifamily. Now, granted, this was in the mid to late 20-teens when we were in a completely different market and things were priced very differently. C-class multifamilies in a lot of markets were still kind of cheap. So you could get a deal and have enough margin to do all the capital expenditures that you needed and make money on the back end. Well, as the market matured through COVID, prices went up and multiples really narrowed between C, B, and A class assets. In my opinion, it didn't really, it doesn't really make sense to do C class, at least for my investment goals anymore. I like newer properties that aren't quite as old, not totally brand new, but you know, I was on a interviewing somebody for my show earlier today. And uh, he made a comment about a property that he just sold that was built in the 1940s. And 1940, that just makes my stomach hurt. I've owned properties from the 60s and 70s and the amount of stuff you have to do to a property that's that old. And particularly the stuff you have to do that just costs money and doesn't add value, doesn't raise your NOI. It just, to me, it doesn't make sense. And a lot of that stuff that pops up, I mean, we've years past, we had problems like plumbing. Well, plumbing fixes, depending on where the pipe is, how it's buried, if it's in a slab and all the other factors that can be so expensive and it's just money out the door. Right. So that's, you know, so many reasons why I like newer deals with, you know, of course, debt and business plans that make sense for the environment today. But, you know, at the end of the day, certainly still a multifamily investor. How are you changing your your underwriting for you know like your how are you looking at your reversion cap and and stuff like that because it's definitely interesting hearing from other syndicators how they're kind of coming up with a, a reversion cap when 
it's quite unknown where interest rates are, are going to land. Yeah, I mean, cap rates are, they're such a huge factor in our potential exit value, of course. I think the thing you have to do is look at, of course, higher reversion cap rates than your acquisition, right? And that's always been the case. We just had such a long period there where cap rates were gradually ticking down over time. So everybody looked like a genius. I think moving forward, we should now it's a judgment call for everybody, right? Whether you should look at 50 basis points a year, 25 basis points a year, 100 basis points a year, you know, at a certain point, you might not be able to do any, you might talk yourself out of any deal that potentially makes sense, right? If you put a high enough reversion cap rate increaser on there. So I think it's a, personally, it's a judgment call. I think 50 basis points a year can make sense. I think the bigger assumption that folks are tempted to get wrong and, and have been for a long time is inflation and rent price inflation after you're stabilized because IRR is a pervasive metric in this space. And I think so few folks have like an intuitive understanding for how it's affected by the different cash flows and specifically the timing of the cash flows. And if you just make things a little bit faster and a little bit higher on the back end, you can make your IRR look a lot better. And one of the big ways that people do that is by overstating their annual rent inc increases after stabilization and just getting too aggressive, too bullish with those I, I see as comparable in terms of a mistake that, you know, folks tend to make, especially when they're kind of getting started out. And, you know, with inflation having been the huge buzz phrase for the last couple of years, I don't think we're going to be in a super high inflationary period moving forward. In general, inflation is a fact of life. It's going to be here forever. We'll probably be back to a more appropriate rate, you know, once these rate increases are done, but we don't want to assume it's going to be 9% in perpetuity. Yeah, we tell our investors, I mean, you know, tweaking the rent growth can have a huge effect on the IRR and you know, our investors, you know, we'll have a deal like, you know, 15%, 16%, you know, maybe. And they're like, well, so-and-so has got a deal for 19% IRR. I go, well, you know, do they beat their performers every time? You know, it's, it's easily manipulated. Be careful of what someone is presenting out there just because it's the high, highest IRR certainly does not mean that it's the best deal out there. You know, I could put my deal, tweak a couple of things, and it's 25% IRR, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that's one of the things that's very tempting, right? To look at the final return projection and say, well, that's what it says. So that's what it's going to be. Rather than looking at the business plan as a whole, looking at the team, you know, if you present me a, a, a property or an opportunity where, you know, the property's not too old. Now you can put a judgment call on that, but you could say, 1990s vintage, vintage or older, not too old. If it's in a market that has strong employment growth, strong population growth, diverse economy, and the team has done, just to put a silly number on it, they've done a hundred of these deals before and knocked it out of the park on 95 out of a hundred of them. Let's face it, everybody, people make mistakes. Not everybody has a hundred percent or a thousand batting average, excuse me. I'll be very interested in that deal, particularly if it has debt on it that is you know longer term and everything around it, a really sound business plan. But let's say the return projection is a little bit lower than a new team 
that is going and doing a deal in a market that they don't really know. It could be a great market, but hey, they've never done a deal there before. And it's a property that was built in the 1970s. I said a little bit earlier, I don't like 70s vintage properties. You know, okay, they're saying they're going to do a lot better on their return projections, but, you know, which horse am I going to bet on here? I, I know which way I'm going. I think just focusing on that final number, you're really missing the forest for the trees, I think, if I'm using that metaphor correctly. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I got to ask you, you know, I, I see all those books behind you. Crucial Conversations is one of my favorite books. So what's one of your either favorite books behind you or a book that you highly recommend that you've read recently? So I'm glad you mentioned Crucial Conversations because, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Somebody asked me that, my favorite book on a podcast recently, and Crucial Conversations is one because it teaches you important skills in difficult conversations to deal with them. One, so that's the content of the book. Two is the time in my life when it came around. I'm in my mid-30s now, but I actually got that book when I was in my mid-20s at a time in my life where, man, I really needed to improve my skills of you know, having difficult conversations with uh, with a spouse or with business partners or with you know people in life. I need, really needed to work on that skill. Now, I think that's a skill that we can all continually work to improve upon. That book in particular has important lessons. And for me, it came around at a very fortunate time in my life when it was relevant to what I needed. Not to cheat too much, I'll give you a second one here that I'm a big fan of. Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell? He just passed away a couple months ago, but just a book that talks about his business and life philosophy and how much fun he had and doing his real estate deals and how he was willing to put himself out there and take risks and you know personal tragedies he had in his life that he just kept pushing forward through. It, he had a very inspiring life and inspiring family story. I would recommend picking it up. It's, it's not a difficult read and you really enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I haven't read that one yet and I've heard good things. So I, I definitely have to check it out. Well, Taylor, thanks so much. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing uh, about the current market. Where can listeners find out more about you and your company? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. My show is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, which you've been on uh, in the past. Happy to have you on again in the future. My company, NT Capital, ntcapitalgroup.com. If you'd like to learn about doing deals with us, you just go to investwithtaylor.com. All right. Awesome. Well, this is Gary signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Investor Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and leave a review as it will help us reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.